0: Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So advertising executives will tell you that the best form of advertising is word of mouth. Probably no big surprise there. But they say it's ninety-five. there's a 95% chance that you will act on the advice of a friend or a close family member rather than an advertisement that you see on TV, hear on the radio, or read in the newspaper. uh, Those executives will also tell you that the best advertisement is a satisfied customer. So with those two ideas in mind... Um, I'd like to start this morning by asking you two um, rhetorical questions. That means don't, don't answer them out loud. Kind of answer them just in your head for a moment. First of all, the first question is this. Um, what difference does Jesus make in your life? Notice that I use that in the present tense. I didn't say what difference has he made in your life. I asked you what difference does Jesus make in your life. And the second question that we're going to be focused on a little more this morning is this. If someone asked you why you were a follower of Jesus... What would you tell them? If someone asked you, why are you a follower of Jesus, what would you tell them? Now I want to jump right into our gospel reading this morning. Uh, But before we do, actually, I want to talk a a moment about the author, Luke. Um, now Luke stands uh, kind of apart or alone um, in one respect in the biblical writers, the people who wrote um, the parts of the Bible or books of the Bible. Luke is a Gentile, we call him. That means that he's not a Jewish person. He didn't grow up. He wasn't born into the Jewish community, the Jewish culture, um, or any things like that. So um, he, has, um, he was a companion with the disciples. Um, he was definitely a companion with the Apostle Paul. Paul mentions him several times. Um, Paul doesn't mention a lot of people, but he he keys on Luke a couple of different times. So now he stands. Luke stands alone. Not only is he a Gentile, he's writing to Gentiles. Now, when you think about it, and I know that's a crazy word that we use every once in a while, but we are all Gentiles. And with all due respect, most of us probably are all Gentiles um, that were not born into the Jewish culture, the Jewish uh, religion, um, or or the Jewish race. Um, but so we have this Luke guy. He's writing uh, directly to us from that kind of a standpoint. Now, and he, uh, we're going to talk about the academic side of his writing here in a second, but I want to get on with it because now, like I said, his, uh, his audience is a little bit different, this non-Jewish audience. So he focuses on some different aspects of Jesus. He, we say leave some things in, some details in about Jesus' life, and he leaves some things out that might be a little more confusing to, um, to non-Jewish people. Um, he focuses... On the humanity of Jesus, I'm like Luke. Luke's my boy, man. I, he focuses on the humanity of Jesus, not to take away um, that Jesus was fully man and fully God, but but Luke puts some nuts and bolts to Jesus and his ministry, and we're going to look at that. Now, we again, we got to remember that, that he's, Jesus is 100% Emmanuel. That means God with us. So we we can't get away from that idea or get get, get away from that fact. Okay, so having said all that, let's let's buckle up here, um, really tight, so you don't get thrown from the view because. We're going to go kind of fast. Like I said, I'm kind of psyched up about uh, this whole idea this morning. Uh, so let's look at, um, before we get started on, on our lesson, let's look at Luke's, what I call his mission statement. Um, why did he write his gospel? John tells us why he wrote his gospel. Matthew does. So does Luke. Look at Luke 1, four. He says, I did this, I wrote this, I, I wrote this gospel so that you can be sure that what you have been taught is true. So things are being taught about Jesus before the gospels were written. And then they kind of wrote them down and said, we better get this stuff you know, down on paper so that we can pass it around a little bit more, so we can get some of the background, some of the other things that people, uh, the details that people are leaving out some and leave some of the things in. So he's, he's saying this, that's his mission statement. I'm writing this so that you can be sure about what you have been taught is true. And he doesn't waste any time solidifying that idea for this. Look at Luke 14. We're going to concentrate mostly on what we just read here a moment in the gospel. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. Okay, so let's get the context here. Again, when you're reading through the Bible, you should ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to wonder um, what's going on here. It says here, Jesus returned to Galilee. Well, return from where? Right? I mean, that should be our first question. So, um, this is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. I want to show you verse, this is verse 14. I want to show you verse 13, what happened there. Take a look at verse 13. It says, When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him, Jesus, until an opportune time. Jesus has just been in the wilderness for 40 days, uh, being tempted by Satan. Right? Now, when he gets done in verse 13 and verse 14, he goes back to Galilee. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This is at the front of everything that's going on. Now, he's in Galilee for a few minutes or going for a couple different places. <clears throat> but then Jesus lays out his mission statement. Remember I said Luke's mission statement is so that we can be sure everything that we've been taught is true. Well, okay, so that's our lens that we should be reading with Luke. When we say, when we're reading through Luke, we should say, okay, how does this reassure me that everything that I've learned is true? Well, Luke, like I said, doesn't waste any time getting to it. He comes to his purpose statement. Jesus comes to his purpose statement and his mission statement right from the very beginning. Let's keep going through, and then we're going to back up and we're going to kind of go over a couple of things again. Verse 15 says, He, Jesus, was teaching in their synagogues. Everyone praised Him. Okay, so far so good, right? So here's where things get interesting. And again, this, this historical account that we're going to unpack this morning is only in the book of Luke. Like I said, Luke stands apart in a lot of different ways. He, he includes some things that he feels are details that we should know about. Why should we know about them? so that we can be sure that everything that we've been learning, everything we've been hearing about Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, is true. So he's teaching in their synagogues. Here's, again, where things get interesting. Verse 16. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. Then he stood up to read. Kind of a crazy place for a verse break there, but we'll go with it. He stood up to read, verse 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. Hold it right there for a second. So he's in the synagogue, right? And literally, where else is he going to be? They hand him the scroll of Isaiah. Now, it's not a book like we have these handy little books. It's a scroll. So he unrolls it, and there's no chapters and verses or anything, but he unrolls it, and he finds a place in Isaiah where it says this in verse 18. It says, "...the Spirit of the Lord is upon me," or is on me, uh, "...because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor." He, that's God, has sent me, the Messiah, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. Verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Okay, verse 20, then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And then it says this, the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Okay, so let's work with that verse for a moment and figure out what's kind of happening here. And we're going to back up and go over this quite a bit. We're going to get a good idea of what's going on here. That uh, Those words, fastened on him. Um, Literally, uh, every eye in the synagogue was glued on him. And not only glued on him... They were they were gawking at him. They were uh, dismayed. They were flabbergasted. They were amazed. And they were they were waiting to see what he was going to do next, literally with mouths hanging open. Okay, so everybody in the room is kind of paying attention to the guy talking up in front here, but that's not the same kind of attention that they were giving him. They were giving him, like, astonishment kind of uh, of attention here. So he says, okay, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, right? The recovery, uh, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me Uh, To proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of eyesight for the blind to set the oppressed free. There's Jesus' mission statement right there. We're going, to back that, we're going to backtrack a little bit and get to that in a moment. So I'm going to break it down in a few minutes here. But I want to talk about the prophecy that, uh, of the Messiah that we see in, in Isaiah 61. This is Isaiah 61 is, is what Jesus is talking about here. Um, and it talks about the Christ. It talks about the Anointed One. Um, and so now think about this um, back from the top. So Jesus is, is in Galilee. Jesus goes up to Galilee. He just gets done in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. Now he's in Galilee. And he, and he goes to Nazareth. He goes to Nazareth, Nazareth um, his hometown. Right? It's the Sabbath day. Right? And so he's in the synagogue. Literally, I mean, where else would he be, right? But then some crazy stuff starts to happen. And Luke says, I'm writing this crazy stuff for you so that you can understand who Jesus is. So that you can understand that he's the Messiah. So you can be sure that you're putting your faith in the right place. And at the right time. And again, uh, Luke is the only one to put this astonishing moment down, write this moment in in world history and put it down on paper. So Jesus, in the middle of the service, stands up. And and if we're reading that, we would think, well, kind of makes sense. I mean, Jesus is absolutely among us. His word says, where there are two or more gathered in his name, I am there among you. So Jesus is absolutely here. But if he walked in here in bodily form and he walked up here to read something, we would definitely hand him a scroll so that he could open it up and read whatever he wanted to. But that's not what's happening here. Not everybody understands Jesus the way we understand him today. Not everybody in that room understands Jesus the way we understand him. So this is supposed to happen. He, you know, They didn't gasp when Jesus got up to, to read. They didn't all fix their gaze on him and say, what's this guy doing? No, Jesus was supposed to be doing this. It was supposed to be happening because Jesus is today's reader. <clears throat> Let me back up and just explain that a little bit. When the Babylonians um, brought the Israelites into captivity, one of the things that the Babylonians tried to do was destroy the Torah, we would say. Not only the Torah, the first five books, not only the Torah, but the books of the prophets that had been written up to that point, Psalms, Proverbs, things like that. They tried to destroy it. So the scribes and the rabbis and Sadducees got together and they said, well, how are we going to make sure that we preserve this? And they said, well, you know, they threw some ideas out. There's a couple of ways we could hide them, and that worked because we found some Dead Sea Scrolls and things like that, and there's probably more hidden that we don't know about. But then they said, well, that's not not good enough because, you know, that could be destroyed. And they said, really, the only way we can reassure this or the only way we can assure this is if people um, memorize parts of the Bible. Now, that might sound crazy to us, but I've told you before that every young Jewish boy was responsible for memorizing the first five books of the Bible, the first five books of the Torah. Read, good luck with that, my friend. And not only did they have to memorize it, but they had to um, be able to explain it and, and talk about it. When they could do that, then they became a disciple of a rabbi. And everybody wanted to hear those rabbis' words that said, come follow me. And so they all worked really hard, really diligently at this. So that was the culture back in the day. They memorized things. But then the rabbi said, okay, we're going to assign different parts of the Bible to different families. So they'd say, Josh, your family is responsible for Genesis 1 through 6. And on the first Saturday of the of the church calendar, the church year, your family is responsible for coming up and reading um, Genesis 1 through 6. And so it went on like that. Well, Jesus is in Nazareth, not by um, any kind of coincidence here. Jesus is in Nazareth on this day reading this scroll because Joseph's family is responsible for Isaiah 61, among other things. Jesus, being the oldest son, would be the logical one to come in, not necessarily the only one that could do it, because they could hand it to other people to help them get trained up in what they were doing as well. So Jesus is here on this particular day, and in Nazareth, his hometown. Why does Luke say Nazareth, by the way, all the place where he grew up, And he stood up to read and was handed the scroll. Everybody who's reading this in Luke's day is like, I'm tracking with you. I got this. I understand exactly what's going on because Joseph's family is obviously uh, responsible for that. But it goes beyond that because now we have the living word standing up to read um, the written word. that's, That's about Jesus. It's about the Messiah. Are you tracking with me so far? Blink twice if you're here on a voluntary basis. Okay, good. Turn to somebody and say, I'm tracking with you. Because we're just getting started. Um, I'm just getting warmed up here. You ain't seen nothing yet. This whole section of, of the Bible, of Luke 4, should cause you to wonder exactly what's going on here. And, and maybe you've heard this much that I've just told you. Maybe you've heard that much of it so far um, at some point in your life. But the question that really got me digging, really got me looking through this, uh, is the, the whole why, why was everyone's eyes fastened on him like this? Other translations say, instead of fasting on him, other uh, trans, English translations say um, they were watching Jesus closely. They were looking at him attentively, um, um, Attentively. Intentively. Um, and uh, one of them says, that I like this one, they were dumbfounded. Why? All he's done so far is stood. That's what he's supposed to do. Read from the scroll. Handed it back to the attendant. All that's part of the script. But then he sat down. And that's the part that we have to talk about. Um, And yes, it's customary, and people will tell you this, it's customary for the, for, we we stand when we read. Pam stood when she read. I stand when we read, right? So, uh, and you even stand when we're reading the gospel out of respect. Back in the day, though, when rabbis had their disciples around them, it was custom for them to sit and be a part of the conversation rather than being the authoritative person looming over the top of them. They would sit and be part of of the conversation. So all that's true, but that's not what Jesus is doing when he's sitting down here. Because he's supposed to um, stand, read, read, hand it back to the attendant, and then expound a little bit on this scripture. And since your family is responsible for this scripture, you've got some uh, different ideas, maybe some different insight, some things, some ideas to share in in, in a message that goes along with that. But now, as as we read this, something unusual is happening here. It's not that Jesus sat. It's where Jesus sat, And again, we've got to remember why Luke is writing this. Luke is writing this so that we can be sure that Jesus is the Messiah. See, okay, he's in the synagogue. At the front of every synagogue, and we'll just pretend this is a synagogue for a second. So you're going to be reading the scroll over here. And right here in the center is this special chair, this special seat, and it's called the seat of Moses. I've got a picture of one that we found in an archaeological dig here. This is the seat of Moses. Now, the seat of Moses is a special seat that's reserved for, guess who? The Messiah. And we might think that's a little crazy, but it's, it's part of that whole culture, part of that whole idea. Kind of like, I've told you this before about the Seder meal, right? About the Passover meal. Um, there's, a, there's a place set at the table for Elijah, to come back and, and and sup with them, in fact, the, at one point of the seder meal, the youngest person in the family goes to the door to see if Isaiah is there, or I'm sorry, Elijah. Did I say Isaiah? Elijah. To see if Elijah is there, and, and and if he's there, well, then he comes and he sits with us. So at every seder meal, there's a there's an empty place reserved for Elijah. I probably, I apologize if I said the wrong name there. So now we have the, the seat of Moses here. And and the reason we call it the seed of Moses is because the Messiah is often called the second Moses. The first Moses brought the Israelites out of captivity in Egypt. The second Moses is going to bring us out of captivity here on earth. And captivity to the things we're about to talk about here. So Jesus sits down in the seat of authority, the seat of the, of the one who will come and teach all things and have the greatest authority. That's what the, the seat of Moses is designed to be, the definition of it. the one who will come and teach all things and has the greatest authority. And after this moment, Jesus refers to the seat of Moses several times. He's talking to the, uh, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and he said, you would love to sit in the seat of Moses, but it's not yours to sit in. It's not your place to be. You want to be that figure of authority and everything. He said, but, but you're not. He said, God is in the, in the Messiah, are the figures of authority. So when he sat down in that chair, he was declaring to everyone that he was the Messiah. Now, I don't have time to go into the whole background, so I'm going to push this to next week. So I'm going to give you a teaser for next week about how half of the people here believed him, understood that he was the Messiah based on just the things he'd done already. The, you know, the time, it, there's no verses between when Jesus left the desert and when he's doing this. There's, there's zero time in between in Luke, but there is some time in some of the other Gospels we're going to talk about some of the things that they saw and some of the things that he did. But that's why everyone's looking at him intently. That's why everyone's gawking at him. That's why everybody's jaw is hanging down, because he sat down in the seat of the Messiah. And then Jesus breaks the Silence. In verse 21, he began saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You might be thinking, what scripture? Right? And Luke is saying, you guys need to hear this and you need to know this. So that's not where the story stops. This is where the story begins. This is where Jesus is unveiling who he is and why he came and who the Messiah is supposed to be. Because if word of mouth is the best advertisement, right, how are we doing? And more to the point, let me get back to that first question I asked you. If someone asked you why you're a follower of Jesus, what would you tell them? Well, maybe we can start with Jesus' mission statement. The mission statement that he pulled out of Isaiah 61. Think about what he, what he reads here. right? Verse 18 again. Let's look at this again. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. Okay, let's talk about this from the top. Yeah, okay, good. Anointed. Yeah, that's a great word to start with. Anointed me. That means the Christ, the Messiah the anointed one not just anointing a king with oil or anointing you know like like Samuel did um, not, not like that this is really pointing to the Christ this is pointing to Jesus and Jesus says this scripture is or this prophecy has been fulfilled spirit of the lord is upon me upon Jesus because he god has anointed Christ and i am the anointed one he has anointed me to do what proclaim good news to the poor look at that good news this is not the word for the gospel And that's interesting. It's the same root word, but it's not the same word for gospel. This means, this word means to proclaim a joyful message. Means to proclaim a joyful message. So he's got, he has anointed me to proclaim a joyful message. Also, uh, it's the Greek word that we use to announce a victory, or they use to announce a victory. Jesus is just sitting down. He just came out of the desert and he's already claiming victory for things that are going to happen three years from now. In his mind, and in God's mind, it's already done. The victory is already ours. You get it? He's just starting out, but the victory is already here. Then think about what he reads here. You know, Again, I'm going to ask you this. If someone asked you why you're a follower of Christ, what would you tell them? Well, how about some of the things that Jesus talks about? He he talks about three things here. First of all, Jesus came to help us. And he said he came to help the poor, right? Um, Back in verse 18, uh, to bring good news to the poor. That doesn't mean um, people that don't have money, right? That's people that are uh, not able to meet our, we, we are poor people because we're not able to meet our needs. Specifically, not able to meet the needs of our own salvation. Not being able to accomplish our own salvation, So the anointed one, the Christ, has come to to announce the victory to those of us who can't accomplish our own salvation. That's what the Messiah is doing. He's come to help us. The second thing he's done is he's come to free us, right? to give us that freedom, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners um, and recovery of sight for the blind. Freedom means to be released from bondage. To be released from bondage. And that bondage, we say it every morning, you know, we confess that we are in bondage to sin and what? Cannot free ourselves. We need somebody to release us. Somebody to, to give us that freedom. And not just the forgiveness of sins here. That's not what that word is just talking about. Not just the forgiveness of sins. God says that he doesn't just forgive our sins. He says he sends them away. Right? What does it say? As far as the east is from the west, That's how far away your sins are going to be from you. Go ahead and take a look and see if you can find them again. Because I have sent them away and they are gone. And now you are freed from that. So Jesus comes to help us. He comes to free us. Here's the big thing. Jesus came to heal us. Jesus came to heal us. We look back at verse 18 and it says, uh, recovery of sight for the blind to set, listen to this, to set the oppressed free. Oppressed. This word is an interesting Greek word, doesn't show up very often. It means to be broken into pieces, to be shattered. A synonym is the word smite. But Jesus says, I'm going to put Humpty Dumpty back together again no matter what has happened to you. I am here, the Messiah. I am the anointed one. Here's my mission statement. I'm going to help you because you're not able to accomplish that salvation for yourself. I'm going to free you from the bondage of that sin. And not just forgive those sins, but to send them away from you so far that you'll never be able to find them again. And he says, I'm going to come and heal the oppressed, the ones that have been broken into a billion pieces. Jesus says he's going to remove all of that from you. So, back up again. If someone asked you why you are a follower of Jesus, what would you tell them? How about you start with something like what Jesus said? We say we allow him into our hearts and our lives. We say that we accept him as our personal Savior on a daily basis. Remember I asked you the question, what difference does Jesus make in your life? Not what has he made in your life. What does he make today, now? Accept him as your personal Savior on a daily basis. And then allow him to help you. Allow him to free you. And allow him to heal you. You picking up what I'm putting down? Can I get an amen? Amen. All right, let's stand with me, please.